Please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, then get one of the ones that's on the end of each pew. That black Bible should be on page 944, where we'll be today. We're looking at Romans 8, verses 12 and 13, as we keep going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Let me read those for us. As he's been talking about the difference between life in the spirit versus life in the flesh, the life that we now have in Christ as believers, as opposed to the life that we had before apart from Christ with with just our flesh to go on. It says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Putting to death the deeds of the body, putting sin to death. There was an atheist a few years ago who wanted me to sit down and have coffee with him and try to convince me to be an atheist too. And came from the perspective that all religion is kind of the same and just sort of like different variations of it in different ways of doing religion. And so he was convinced that any time that you see a religious terrorist in the world... That that therefore means that all religions must be breeding terrorists. And so he said to me, aren't you worried that there's going to be some young man, you know, an older teenager or somebody in his early 20s who, who you're opening up the Bible every week and you're teaching the Bible and you're telling people to actually believe and obey the Bible. Aren't you worried somebody's going to take this seriously and pull out an AR-15 and start killing people? And I said, No. <laughs> I am not worried about that at all. I'm not worried about that because the Bible, if you pull it out and you start taking it seriously, what you start to see is not that you're going to go around and start killing people as other religions' books actually do instruct people to do, sadly. But what you're going to do is you're going to kill sin. This is what it looks like. If you take these things seriously, if you really believe this, well, here's what it says. Here's what our battle is against. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers of the air. And it's against the temptations that we would have stemming from our own flesh. And so that's what this is about. This is about a death match. This is about spiritual warfare, but it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against our neighbor. We're called to love our enemies. But there's an enemy you're not to love, and it is your sin. We're to look at our sin. We're to hate our sin. We're to put to death the deeds of the body. We are to be in this fight. I'm going to say, first of all, here's why we should be in this fight against our own sin. This is number one on the back of your bulletin. You should always look at the back of your bulletin. You should follow along. It might make what I say make sense. That's, it might not. I don't know. But here's why we need to be in this fight, because it says in verse 12 that we are debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Here's the way that Paul puts it, or I should say here's the way that the Holy Spirit puts it through Paul's pen. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Now, do you hear what he says there? He says, we are debtors. And then there's a comma, and I think that's an appropriate comma in the English translation here. It says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, a mistaken way that you could read that is you can say, we are debtors not to the flesh. No, we're not debtors to anything. We don't owe anybody anything. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying we are debtors. 
But who we're debtors to is not who the world knows. Who we're debtors to is not what the world would think that life is all about, that it's indebted to. It's not to the flesh. It's not to the things of the world. It's not to the treasures that you could store up for yourself on earth. It's not to the satisfactions that your sinful, dying body wants. You are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. An unwritten, and yet written also by way of implication, just in the grammar of how this is stated, is that you are debtors to something else. And if it's not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, well, what is it? That's the thing that all through chapter 8 so far that he's been putting as the opposite of the flesh. It's the spirit. I'll just remind you where it said, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, which is the Holy Spirit indwelling you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what is it saying? If we are debtors but not to the flesh, we're saying, well, you are debtors to the spirit, the spirit who has given you life, the Holy Spirit who is the one who, if you're a believer, here's why you're a believer. It's because at some point you heard the gospel which is the word of God, which is the, the, uh, the power of God unto salvation. And in that hearing of the gospel, at some point, the Holy Spirit did a powerful work to overcome the inability of your flesh and the inability of your will, which is what it said back in verse 7, that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, which means if you have come to a place of submitting to God, of believing the gospel, well, it's not because you did it. It's because the Holy Spirit has done a miraculous work on your unbelieving, unwilling heart to take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, come and live in you, and turn you to Jesus in a faith that always comes together with repentance. And as we have that, it says here, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but instead implied to the Spirit to live according to the Spirit. Now, what is this saying? Because it is saying we are debtors. What does it mean to say that we are debtors? Does that mean that we are bound to pay God back for the salvation that he's given to us? No. How do we know that? Well, it's because back in Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. If you're trying to work to pay God off for something, the only thing that you can earn, the only wage that you can get from God is the wage of sin, which is death. But then it says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we have from God, the new life, the forgiveness, the status of being children of God, forgiven, going to heaven instead of going to hell, going to heaven because of Jesus' righteousness instead of going to hell because of our sin, all of that is a free gift that God gives. And he doesn't give it based on what we deserve, 
That wouldn't be grace. He doesn't give it based on what we can earn or how religious we can be. He gives it by free grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how he does it. You are not a debtor in the sense of trying to pay God back for something. And if you have a feeling in your heart, like, I have to pay God back for what he's done for me, you need to redirect that because you can't pay God back. And God doesn't want you to pay him back. And trying to pay him back is an insult to him. It's like saying, well, the free gift that you gave me, you know, that's something I could have done. So I'm going to pay you back. No, you can't do it. So what does it mean when it says we're a debtor? It says, what it means is, here is the source of your life. Here's where everything came from. Here's what your life is to be all about. Before we came to faith in Christ, it, it, it seemed like that all that we had was just the things of the world and the flesh, and in, in a way that really was all we had. Just the, the stuff that you could have in this life and live it up before you hit the coffin. And trying to to pursue whatever amount of worldly pleasure you could get out of this world before it's over. And you were a debtor to the flesh because what else did you have? What else could life be all about? Where did you feel like everything came from and the point of everything was? That's what it looks like to be a debtor to the flesh. To have that mind set on the flesh. Because you don't know the things of the Spirit. And you don't submit to God. But when we've come to Christ, we are debtors to the Spirit, not because we're trying to pay him back, but because we know that in Christ, that everything that we have, eternal life, every spiritual blessing in God for all eternity, everything that we have, including even the things in this world that we're temporarily enjoying to the glory of God, all of it is from God. And all of it has been given to us by his Holy Spirit who has applied the finished work of Christ to us personally. And so that's what it's getting across here. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We are debtors to the Spirit to live according to the Spirit is what's implied there. And so that's why we're in this fight. That's why we need to be in the fight against the deeds of the body, the desires of the flesh to put sin to death. It's because everything that we have is from the spirit and not from the flesh. That's the idea behind this. What does it look like not to be in that fight, though? Well, what it looks like not to be in the fight is to live according to the flesh. It says in verse 13, the first half of it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? Well, it means living as though this world were what this world were about. It means living as though the things of this body were what your life in this body is about. I'm going to put it another way. It's the normal, standard way of life. It it, it might not always look the same. So, so some ways that you can think of it, it's just normal, practical way of living, where, where in some ways it could be normal and practical in the sense of, of always giving in to obvious sin. This is one way that, that living according to the flesh plays out, and probably the most common way that you would think of that when you see those words is, is, is the idea of somebody who's, who's like the prodigal son before he came back to his father, Right? I'm just going to take everything that I have and I'm going to live it up. I'm going to live it up. Just, just this constantly giving in to obvious sin, a delight 
in getting away with it. I, I was at a funeral several years ago where uh, a, a friend of the deceased spent, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes just standing up at the funeral and talking about all of the sins that he and the deceased got away with together and delighting in that and laughing about that. And I was thinking the deceased is not laughing about that with you right now. But that's part of what it looks like when it says this living according to the flesh. But another way that it could look like is what the Pharisees were doing. Where on on an external level, it looked like they were not living according to the flesh because boy, did they have everything together religiously. And yet, what were they trying to do? They were trying to achieve eternal life by the flesh. You see what that is? That's just another way of living according to the flesh. Trying to have life by what you can accomplish through your works in your body as though God owed it to you to pay you back something good for the good things that you did. That's being a debtor to the flesh just as much as it is to go after all of the wildest sinful desires that ever crossed your mind. If you think to yourself, by my flesh, I can earn a way. Now, the reality is that every human being has a mixture of these two that we have to deal with. Every human being, apart from Christ, is driven by those things, whether it's the, the, living according to the flesh in terms of constantly giving in to sin or living in ter- according to the flesh in terms of trying to be good by the flesh, you, you, you see this. You, you can look back in your own life before you came to Christ and see this. You, you can look around at those that you know, who you love and, and spend time with who don't know Christ, and you can see this. That there is some combination there, on the one hand, of, of wanting to say, what can I get away with in terms of rule-breaking and bad stuff that I could get away with and laugh about it and say, boy, that sure was awesome. That was delightful. By the way, it's not delightful. It, it's that temporary fake thrill. You know it. I know it. They know it, too. That's why they have to keep going back to it is because it's like a dog returning to its vomit, right? Like it's going to be lasting next time. No, it's not. But there's some combination of that together with the idea, I'm going to be a good enough person that God's going to look at me and let me into heaven. Because I haven't been as bad as that guy. Both of those mindsets, as mixed up as they can be in the human heart, both of them are just standard practical living, standard living according to the flesh. It can look like a very disorderly life on the outside, or it can look like a very orderly life on the outside. And yet, a heart that's oriented toward the things of this world and what the flesh can accomplish is a heart that is dead. And it's a heart that is in rebellion against the God who created it. And that's what it says. If you live according to the flesh, verse 13a, you will die. Now, when it says you will die, Romans 8 talks at some points about physical death, and it talks at some points about spiritual death. And this is one of those places where it's talking about spiritual death. How do we know that? I'll show you how we know that. Look at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
right? So here's what he's saying. He's saying that there are two categories of people. One of these categories of people is going to have the end point of death. One of these categories of people is going to have the end point of life. All of us, unless Jesus comes back, are going to go through physical death. And so that can't be what he's talking about here. Even later in the chapter, you'll see this, because he says in Romans 8, verse 36, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying, here's the worst possible thing that can happen to you, but as Christians, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that amazing? So he's not talking about physical death. We Christians will go through physical death unless Jesus comes back first, but though we die, yet shall we live because we believe in the Lord Jesus who was raised from the dead. We will have eternal life. What this is talking about, though, is the death that Christians will not die, which is called hell. This is talking about hell. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, and by, by die, he means you will suffer an eternity meaning it never ends, ever, no matter how many millions of of eons go by, an eternity of conscious torment beyond what you have imagined under the righteous wrath of God, and it will be to the glory of God, and you'll go on hating him forever, even as you suffer. That's what we deserved before we came to Christ, Those who come to Christ don't live according to the flesh. This is one of the things we see here, right? If someone is, their life is oriented toward the things of the flesh, that's not a Christian. There can be a Christian that for a time gets distracted by the things of the flesh, might backslide, but they don't stay backslidden. You're going to come back around. You're going to bear fruit, And so the end point of living according to the flesh is death. So what we as Christians are called to do instead is this. In the second half of verse 13, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hear that? You will live. So we had in in verse 12 the reason that we need to be in the fight. In the first half of verse 13, what it looks like not to be in the fight And then in the second half of verse 13, what the fight actually is. By the way, somebody who doesn't have a taste for the things of Christ, somebody who's still of the flesh, they're not in this fight. They're perfectly at peace with the flesh and with sin. They might occasionally feel bad about something and try to clean their lives up, but they're not really in the fight. They're just trying to find a balance that will work for them in life. But we as Christians, we have a spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who is showing us on a regular basis, hey, that indwelling sin, that sin that dwells within my flesh, as Paul put it back in Romans 7, that needs to be put to death. That's a fight. That is a struggle. That is a struggle to the death. And one of the things that this shows us is that a characteristic, a mark of a genuine believing Christian is that they will fight sin. That they will not be at peace with their sin. 
Another way to put it is that justification always comes with sanctification. All right? Justification, what does that mean? It means becoming just in God's sight, being declared right with God, having our sins forgiven, being declared to be a child of God now instead of a spiritual orphan lost in our sins. What, what that justification is, it's, it's where Jesus has died for our sins to take our sins on himself and he has lived for our righteousness to give us his righteousness. And when we come to faith in Jesus, that moment that we believe is the same moment that the Holy Spirit has applied the finished work of Christ to our hearts so that now we stand perfectly righteous in the sight of God. So when you believe, no matter what you have done, good or bad up to that point, when you've come to faith in Christ, God no longer looks at you and sees you lost in that sin. He now sees you righteous in Jesus. You are covered. You are clothed in Christ. You are united to Christ. You're no longer united to Adam in the death like the rest of mankind. You are now united to Christ in his righteousness and his life. That's justification. Sanctification is where we grow practically in holiness. Holiness from the heart that would then play out from our mouths and from our actions as well. It's bearing fruit that begins in the heart and that keeps going. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You hear that? If there's somebody who's claiming to be a child of God who doesn't bear fruit, God takes them away. If there's somebody who claims to be a child of God who professes faith in Jesus, and yet they do not have anything changed about them, that's not a Christian. That's a false profession of faith. That's somebody that God is not at work in. That's somebody who is living according to the flesh who will be taken away, who will die. That's what he says. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch of mine that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You know what that is? That's a changed life that God keeps on working on to change it more and more. That's progressive sanctification. That is on a a progressive level, God working in you to make you more like Christ, to cause you to bear more fruit. That's what Jesus says it looks like to be a Christian, that, that you, you bear fruit and then he prunes you, which is painful, but he makes you bear more fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let me just say this. It is impossible to have a changed heart without having a changed life. Okay? Now, you are not saved by having a changed life. The thief on the cross was not able to jump down from the cross and join a church and start serving. He wasn't able to jump down and go to all his neighbors that he had offended and apologize to them. It was not a changed life that saved that man. It was the finished work of Jesus. It was God's grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. And yet you also see him as he's hanging on the cross that something had changed in him. 
He was a different man, even though he couldn't do any works. He'd been changed. And had he not been hanging on that cross next to Jesus, his life and his works would have changed together with that. And that's what happens in a Christian. You are saved by faith alone, but as John Calvin put it, faith that is alone does not save. If you claim to have faith and you don't have works, that is dead faith. How can that faith save you? That's what James says. It's not actual faith in Jesus if it doesn't make a change in your heart that plays out in your life. If your heart is like the world's, if your heart is set on the things of this world, the things of this life, the normal, practical way of living, then you need to search your heart to see if Christ is even there at all. And you need to repent. And you need to believe in him. And you need to accept the transformation that the Holy Spirit will bring into your life as you come to Jesus in repentance and in faith. Jesus says in John fifteen eight, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Hear that? What are the deeds of the body, though? Here's what he says. If by the Spirit, or excuse me, read it. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, this is, for one thing, just a statement of reality, okay? It's a statement of, here's what happens in a Christian. But it's also a statement for us who are Christians, who believe in the Lord, of, here's something that you need to do. It's both a reality that will happen in the life of a Christian and instructions for what to do in the life of a Christian. And you're to put to death the deeds of the body. What are the deeds of the body? Let me read you some lists. Are you ready? Here's some deeds of the body. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, astrology, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those things characterizing the life of a human are marks, this is a person who is living by the flesh who will suffer eternally in the lake of fire. That's what it says, very plainly. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do not be deceived, which means people will try to deceive you about this. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's another way of saying, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Here's deeds of the body to put to death. And in Colossians 3.5, we prayed from this earlier. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on later in that chapter, verse 8, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Another way to say that we're to put to death the deeds of the body is that we're to put to death the old self. That's how it just put it there in Colossians. 
That's what we need to think about. That's how it's really kind of getting around to it here in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. He talks multiple times about this body of death or this mortal body or the sin that dwells in this body. Even though we have a renewed spirit in Christ, even though we're indwelt by the spirit, we are new people in Christ, we are still waiting, and he's going to get to this later in chapter 8, we are still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're not yet in the perfected, resurrected state that Jesus is now in. We are, not, we, we are still in this state that's affected by the sin of Adam, where even in our flesh, there are things that draw us away after sin. Even when nobody comes up to you and shows you a picture they shouldn't have showed you, even when Satan is working off somewhere else and and isn't even paying attention to what you're doing in that moment. Even without those external temptations from your own flesh, from your old self, these things can rise up. The desires, the deeds of the flesh of the present mortal body. And so the call here is to put to death the deeds of the body, to put to death the old self. When we talk about that old self, It is that sin that dwells in your mortal body. John MacArthur put it like this. It's that complex of sinful motives, desires, affections, principles, and purposes that we had apart from Christ. It's something that has to be daily crucified. You remember what Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, let him come after me, and let him take up his cross daily. You know what that means? This is talking about dying to yourself. This is one of the ways that the world, this is a principle of the old self that the world loves, is to say, well, here's who you really are. You need to express yourself authentically. You you need to embrace who you are. You need to discover who you are in your teenage years and then live as who you are for the rest of your life and be true to who you are. And you know what Jesus says? Put that on the cross, Don't worry about that. Be transformed. Crucify it daily. As Christians, every day, every day we wake up with the flesh. We wake up with the old self. You know what? That old self is already dead. We talked about that back in chapter 6. It already died with Christ. And yet we still deal with it. We wake up with a corpse strapped to our back. It's already dead, but every day we have to kill it again. We have to put to death the deeds of the body. We have to get out that knife of the spirit and cut the rope. You have to proactively do it, or he's going to drag you down. He's going to drag you into sin. That old man, that old self. And a question that rises out of this, though. All of those things, all of those desires of the body, does that mean that God doesn't want me to be happy? Does it mean that God doesn't want me to have any comforts in this life? That God doesn't ever want me to have the ability to just relax and feel good? Well, before we came to faith in Christ, that's what we thought. Those who are still of the flesh, that's the way of thinking. If I come to Christ, it's going to be dull. I mean, at the very least, dull. (laughs) That's their way of thinking. Here's all the things that I delight in. 
And God is saying, no, you have to end those things. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to bring those things into the light of Christ? First of all, be embarrassed about them because they're out in the light. And then secondly, let go of them to follow Jesus. Why would I want to do that when that's the stuff that I take comfort in in this life? I am finding life drawing off of the flesh. I am living by the flesh and it feels great. And why wouldn't God want me to be happy? That's the feeling of the lost, unregenerate soul. That's part of what keeps people from coming to faith in Christ. What, what, what you don't realize back in that state, though, even if it's not just that outward, that obvious delight in sin, even if it's that principle of I'm going to find my goodness, I'm going to have pride in being good through what I can do, all of that, we think, well, God just wants to cut that off, make me joyless. It's like if you're a little kid who doesn't want to leave the pizza party at Chuck E. Cheese. You think to yourself, this is just the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. There's games. There's amazing, high-quality pizza. They probably won't sue me. But, guys, the, what, what you don't realize it, it, is that it's not mom saying you have to leave the party at Chuck E. Cheese. It's God saying... Come to the banqueting table of the Lamb. You, you can forget about cheap pizza. You, you are being offered in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You need to have your eyes open to know that these things that you thought were the comfort and joy that would bring you delight, that, that they were the ultimate ends, those things are junk. And you know that they don't really satisfy. You already know that, lost person. Christian, you know that too, even though you still get drawn after those things sometimes. Even though your sinful, dead body flesh says uh, th that they ought to delight you. You know it. We all know it. Those things are counterfeits. The joy is in Christ. The joys in Christ. Here, here's something that John Piper says. I, I love this. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than by faith to die with Christ to our old seductions. That is to gain a distaste for them because of a superior satisfaction in God. Do you hear that? As long as you're convinced that God is just trying to cut off the things that satisfy you, you're going to keep going back to them like a dog to its vomit. But when you get a taste for God, when you come to understand who God is and what it is to commune with him and to fellowship with him and to have the joy that the Holy Spirit would bring about in your heart as the fruit of the Spirit, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to let go of, of sin and self and those things that, that the world says everything is all about, and you look to God and say, this is my purpose and my creator and my joy, that's what's going to kill sin more than anything else. I've got to say that right up front. Delighting in God is going to be the thing that will kill sin in your life. And any time that you find yourself veering into sin, I 100% guarantee you that you can identify that the root reason is because you are failing to delight in God. You have to find a superior delight. If you think to yourself, God just wants me to be stoic and unhappy and just suffer, you're going to go back to the things you know he disapproves of because it's the only source of delight you know. 
but when you realize God wants me to serve him with gladness. He wants me to rejoice. He wants me to delight in him. That's a source of, of ongoing sanctification in life and overcoming sin because you know there's greater joy in God than in these things. I've got to say, too, God is, is not against physical pleasure or comfort. When we talk about putting to death the deeds of the body, you've got to realize God is the one who invented human reproductive systems. God's the one who invented marriage as the place to use them freely. God is the one who invented your stomach. God's the one who invented every category of food that can go into it, kosher or not. God is the one who came in the flesh in the person of Jesus, and in his earthly ministry, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he ate and drank. He was accused of not being a very good teacher because he didn't tell his disciples to fast as often as other teachers did. And Jesus laid down his body to sleep, even at times that people thought it was inappropriate, like when there was a storm on the sea and he was asleep at the bottom of the boat. Jesus is not against the fact that our bodies experience delight and satisfaction in physical things that God made. But what you get tripped up with is when you say, well, therefore, I can just do whatever I want with my body. No. You can't, because you don't own your body. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It's, it's to look around and to say, yes, God is not against the reality of physical comforts and pleasures, but those things can so easily be turned to sin that sometimes I actually do need to let go of them altogether so that I won't go off into sin. If you're prone to drunkenness, you need to stop drinking altogether. If you are prone to, uh, to pornography, you need to stop looking at screens by yourself altogether. All kinds of things. If you are prone to gluttony, then, then you need to, to actually have a diet plan. There's all kinds of things that, that you can say about this. But what God intends to be a means to the end of enjoying him can so easily be turned into a, an end in itself that we would just indulge the flesh when we need to put to death the deeds of the body instead. Now what you have in an unbeliever is you have a giving in to the desires of the flesh, right? In, in some ways it's an easy life because there's, there's just no desire to enter the fight at all, right? It, it, it's peace by giving up to the invader, but in the Christian life, what you have in the believer is a death match. This is in your bulletin. This is in the points. A death match empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is a lot of things, but one of the things it is, a death match. Where you are to put to death the deeds of the body. Here's what it says, put it to death. It doesn't say struggle with it in the sense of habitually disobeying God and saying, whoops, I struggled today. No, struggling is trying to kill it. That's the way the Bible uses that word. It's trying to kill it, not saying, oh, well, I, I guess I'm just a struggler because I disobey all the time, but no, so I'm not okay with that. I, I want to kill my sin. I want to put to death the deeds of the body. What a part of what it means to put to death the deeds of the body is, is to actually experience ongoing progress 
in the battle against the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. And we can do this by God's grace, by God's Spirit. There's some instructions in the Bible about this. There's a lot of instructions in the Bible about this. One is Romans 13, 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He's saying where, where you've got a, a little door open or a little, a little box in the back of the closet of your heart where you're saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that sin, but I'm going to keep the door possibility open there for it. He says, no, shut the door Clean out the closet of your heart, get rid of it, bring it into the light, do what you need to do. Do not make provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus says that if your eye causes you to sin, and he's talking in particular about the sin of adulterous lust. He says if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And he doesn't, don't come back here next week with a gouged out eye because you would be missing the point, and you would still be lustful with one eye. Jesus is saying, wherever you recognize that you are led into temptation, you need to cut that out of your life, even if it's hard, even if it's painful. But at the same time, we come to Colossians 2.23, and you might get from those things, make no provision for the flesh. If your eye causes you to sin, tear tear it out. You might think, well, because of that, the way to kill the sins of the body is to be kind of like a Buddhist monk. You know, I just I have to, to figure out how long I can sit still with, with no food and no water and just suffer this, this, this painful agony because then maybe I'll put to death the deeds of the body. Well, it says in Colossians 2.23, severity to the body is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's of no value. If you think to yourself, by the flesh... I'm going to overcome the flesh. That's not going to get you anywhere. But then you go back here to to Galatians 5.13 and it says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Where it's saying, well, severity of the body is not going to help. Some people would look at that and say, well, I can do whatever I want. No, it says, you're free in Christ. Don't use that as an opportunity for the flesh. So you know what? All of this... I think, could be kind of confusing. Because you're saying, well, how do I actually do it? How do I fight sin if it's not severity of the body? It's not this, it's not that, it's not that. I want to encourage you, this has to be something simple enough for a normal Christian to do. Okay? If this weren't something simple enough for a normal Christian to do, it wouldn't be stated so simply, it wouldn't be stated so clearly that everybody who doesn't do this is going to hell. And everybody who does is someone who's going to heaven. Well, I want to submit to you that this is the normal path that the Holy Spirit leads us on in the Christian life. And it's very simple. Here's what he says. Look at the words, verse 13. He doesn't say if by the power of your will. He doesn't say if by the power of your flesh. He says if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I have good news for you guys. If you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you, and he will guide you, and he will help you, and he will fill you, and he will give you every power that you need to obey this verse, to recognize the deeds of the body, the lust of the flesh, and to be at work daily to put it to death. He will do it. 
You don't have to have a super Christian degree or some sort of a certain qualification. You don't have to have read and memorized the entirety of John Owen's book, The Mortification of the Flesh, The Mortification of Sin, although I highly recommend it. It's an entire book about this verse, and I highly recommend it. But it's also something that the regular Christian can read and see and do. How does the Holy Spirit do this? How do we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Number one, I put some things there, and I'm going to add an extra thing. Number one is by the conviction of sin that he brings. The Holy Spirit does the function, according to John 16, 8, to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he doesn't only convict the lost world, he also convicts us when we sin. He shows us this is something that ought to change. We're to pray to God and ask him to do this. Just like the psalmist says, search me, O God, and try me. He, He says, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We've got to pray to God. If I don't see my sin, help me to see my sin. If you say to yourself, boy, I sure am glad the preacher is preaching this sermon because there sure are some sinful people in here, and I wish they'd be more like me, you need to pray, search me, O God, and try my heart. See what wicked way there is in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction. When you see sin in your life, don't let it stay. Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't be at peace with the tiniest sin. Because when you're at peace with sin, you are at, at enmity with the Spirit. Don't do that. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. When He shows you these things, root it out. And you'll find that as you confront one sin, it's like an onion. It's like you peel off the layer of an onion. You'll realize there's another sin underneath that you never thought about. And you'll say, well, oh, this is now the thing that I really need to put to death in my, my body. And, and, and God will do it. And then it's a layer of an onion. You see the next thing. And he's going to keep on going like this for the rest of your life. And you're going to keep on needing to put to death the deeds of the body. But it's going to be by the Spirit. Partly by the conviction of sin he brings. And listen to this. By the faith in Christ that he gives. You know what? The evidence, the primary evidence in a human being that the Holy Spirit is at work in them is that they repent and believe. That they have faith in Jesus and repentance of their sins in that faith in Jesus. That's kind of the gist of John chapter 3. What it looks like to be born again. You believe and you come into the light. You have a new heart. You have a new self. You're crucifying the flesh and you're looking to Christ. Look to the cross. Look to the cross when you see your sin that the Holy Spirit convicts you of. Let the Holy Spirit point your eyes to Christ on the cross crucified for that sin. And let that drive you to obedience. Because why would you want to put more nails in those hands? Delight in God in that faith in Christ. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Guys, it's kind of kind of simple. It says, it says this in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't say you have no sin. Don't say you've reached sinless perfection. That's not true. But he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how the Holy Spirit works. This is one of the steps the Holy Spirit gave you. Confess your sins. 
Yes, confess them to God silently, but you know what? Confess your sins to one another is also in the Bible. If you think to yourself, I'm going to make provision for the flesh by only confessing this sin silently, stop making provision for the flesh. Bring it in the light. Get embarrassed. Suffer the consequences. It's so much better. You, you don't need to stay in the darkness. Heath Lambert has a book called Finally Free. If, if you are, I've taken some men at several points in time through the book Finally Free. It's a, it's a great resource on fighting the sin of lust and sexual temptation. I highly recommend it, but I also highly recommend it for those who are dealing with other sins because he just lays out, here is what 1 John 1.9 says. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And get this, he, he says this, the Bible says this, and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He actually will do it. You don't have to stay in a cycle of just, I messed up, I'm going to confess it, and I'll mess up again and confess it again. He will actually cleanse you. You need to confess your sins, including to people that it needs to be confessed to. You need to affirm that God forgives, and you need to request God's grace to change you and cleanse you. He does it by the means of grace. The means of grace. He, he says that it's like running in a race where all the competitors race, but only one gets the prize. And so, so do not run aimlessly as one beating the air. I, he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We are to, 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Guys, this is, this is just saying, be about the means of grace. Be about being in the word, being in prayer, being in church, being in a position to take the Lord's Supper regularly with your church, being in this place where you would, uh, you would be watchful over your soul. Now, you may say to yourself, well, I don't want some days when I wake up. Some days I don't want to read the Word. Is it honoring to God to read the Word when I don't want to? Would I just be making it up? Well, guys, he says do this like an athlete. You think there's athletes who wake up and don't want to train? Of course. And they do it because it's of value. If you wake up and you don't want to read the Bible, don't say, well, I guess the Holy Spirit's leading me not to read the Bible today. You've got to say, I guess my flesh needs to be cut off right now. I guess the old dead body that I woke up with needs to be cut off by the word and prayer of the devotional that I need to get into right now. I guess if I wake up on Sunday and I don't feel like going to church because I sinned this week and I don't feel very holy, guess what you need to do? Go. You need to. You need to put to death the deeds of the body, and this is one of the ways he's given you to do it, is to be with the saints in worship. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be watchful. You need to recognize the places of temptation. You need to see these things, the places you shouldn't go anymore, the people you shouldn't see socially anymore. The converse, Even if you're bored on the weekends, it's all right. The conversation topics you need to avoid. The TV shows you shouldn't watch, which is almost all of them. And I'm not kidding about that. Guys, we need to be sanctified. And we need to say it is worth it to put to death the deeds of the body. 
it's worth it. We need to do this by the word, by the written words that the Holy Spirit has breathed out. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We need to put to death the deeds of the body by the way that the Holy Spirit leads in our hearts. Don't be, as Acts 17, or Acts 7, 51 says, don't be stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears who always resist the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Here's what it says for believers in John 14. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. When you feel the Holy Spirit leading you and it's in line with what he wrote down in the Bible, follow it, follow it. And I want to add one more point there. I know you're just saying, don't add one more point, but I'm going to. One more thing in your outline. You can write a little Roman numeral seven under that Roman numeral six. By devoting our time to serving through the love that the Holy Spirit gives us. Let's read you one verse about that. Do not use your freedom, Galatians 5.13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but here's the alternative. You might think to yourself, well, the alternative is go to my prayer closet or do something private. No, he says, here's an alternative, but through love, serve one another. You hear that? If you're tempted to use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh, he says, instead of that, devote your time to serving one another. Devote your time to the things that God has proactively told you, here is what you are to do. Serve God. Serve people. Love God, love people, be about that business. And you'll find that it can take the place of those deeds of the body that wanted to fill your time before. What's the end point of this? He says it's life. If you buy, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's talking about eternal life. He is not talking about earning eternal life. I want to be clear again. If you think that you can earn eternal life by putting to death the deeds of the body then you're living by the flesh. But what it's saying instead is that those who have eternal life will go through a process of sanctification, will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be about putting to death the deeds of the body and living instead after the love and the delight of God. If you need to, guys, if you're oriented toward the, the, the flesh, the normal, practical, daily life, Pray that God would change that because you're probably a lost person. And if you're not, then you definitely need to repent and and, and turn to Jesus for this. Pray that God would do something about that. Pray that God would transform you into that spiritual person that you feel is inauthentic to your own identity. Pray that God would do that work to conform you to Christ, even though you don't feel like that's who you really are. Pray that he would make you really that. Because that's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what it looks like to be somebody who is going to heaven. Is somebody who is no longer about the things of the flesh, but is now about the things of the Spirit. And because we've been forgiven, we can walk by the Spirit. Come to Jesus and walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for what you have done in Christ, and I thank you for what you've done in applying the work of Christ to us by the Spirit.
Father, I pray for those who are not in Christ today. Maybe they think they are because they go to church. And I thank you that they're here. That means something. But God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in them, not to come to church in the flesh, but to be transformed by the power of the Spirit to treasure Jesus and delight in God and Christ. God, I pray that for all of us that you would take those desires of the old dead self, the body, and I pray that you would replace them as we would cut them off, replace them with a delight in you that would overwhelm everything else so that we would set our minds on Christ who is above. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.